Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Guiding Truth series, which is based out of 1 Timothy. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God impacted you through these messages. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, we're going to get right into our series, our Guiding Truths series that we've been going through. And we haven't been in it for a couple of weeks, but just to kind of get everybody up to speed. You'll remember that Paul, he wrote this letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus, and we've called it guiding, guiding, guiding truths. We called it guiding truths. That's my list for the day. We called it guiding truths because Paul, he's writing, he's trying to help this church and this pastor understand that even though you live in a godless culture, you can still live a godly life. And so, Timothy, I'm going to try to give you some principles or some truths to live by that will help you reach your Ephesus. If you'll remember some things about Ephesus, we've been studying it out, uh, but Ephesus known for really three major things, like many of the major cities in that, in that era, in that time. Uh, number one, it was known for false religion or, or uh, pagan worship. There in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. And uh, Diana, kind of the goddess of sensuality. And so that temple brought along all of that sin. And that really just infected the community. And this was a very perverse community and a very... Uh, um a sensual community just given over uh, to so many uh, lusts of the flesh and things of that nature. And so they were known for that false worship. Ephesus was also known for being a great architectural city. It was known for being one of those places that people wanted to go and visit and see the sites. Wow, have you been to Ephesus? Man, have you seen the buildings in Ephesus? Have you seen the sculptures in Ephesus? That would be some of the, the talk about Ephesus and even though it was a, a community of, of sin, people wanted to see the architecture there. Then the third thing it was known for is it was known for knowledge. Um, a man by the name of Celsus, C-E-L-S-U-S, Celsus lived there in Ephesus during the time of Paul and Timothy. And actually that, that uh, building in the far background is what's left of what was built in 92 AD was called the Library of Celsus. They celebrated the knowledge that Celsus had. And Celsus was one who, like some of the believers in the Church of Colossae, they came up with this thought that uh, the, the, the are not believers in Colossae, some of the false teachers in Colossae, they came up with this thought that the more you know, if you know more, then that proves that you're close to God and whatever God you worship. The more you know, the closer you are to whatever God you worship. And that was kind of like Celsus, something he would think. And so those three things, knowledge, architecture, and that false religion, they were kind of leading in Ephesus. Well, Paul, Acts 19, Paul travels into the city. He starts leading people to Jesus and starts telling people that Jesus is the only way that you get to heaven. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And uh, Paul began to preach that. And God began to work in people's hearts. And people started to repent of their false religion and turn to Jesus. People started to say, it's not knowledge that gets me closer to God. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so hundreds of people were coming to know Jesus as Savior. And because of that, Acts 19 tells us, that a church was started. 
A church was started there, and as that church was started, Paul would minister there for a length of time, and then Paul would leave. When he left, he left behind this young man, Timothy. Timothy's now the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so a few years later, Paul writes this letter, the book of 1 Timothy, what we have. He writes it back to Timothy to help Timothy and help these believers understand you can live a godly life in a godless culture. And so that's kind of what we've been going through. And as we get into our thoughts for the day, I wanna, wanna start and I need, need some help. So let me uh, look out. Robert, thank you for volunteering. I want to start by asking you, um, have you ever realized that there's all different types of hugs out there? <laughs> you ever notice that? People, you know, people just hug different at times. And uh, Robert, he was voluntold to help me. And so he's going to volunteer, and I, I want us to, we're going to demonstrate for you uh, maybe some of the different types of hugs. You know, when you come into a room, this is, this is what's called the obligated hug, and you've all experienced this. The obligated hug is you come into a room, and you see someone, and you know, oh, man, got to hug them. If I don't, they're going to get offended. The obligated hug is this. That, the obligated hug. How many of you experienced an obligated hug? So, yeah, someone like that. That's the obligated hug. Then everybody experiences this one. And some people are kings at it. The awkward hug. Here's what the awkward hug can often look like. You see, hey, how you doing? Awkward hug. I mean, I had an awkward hug before. Okay, that's the, you know, your head goes in the same direction and you keep moving, but it's like you're dancing with them. The awkward hug. Uh, every now and then you'll come across somebody like my brother-in-law, Jim. Jim is what I call an enthusiastic hugger. He's an enthusiastic hugger. Jim's like this. Hey, good to see you. Man, it's great to see you. Oh, it's just, oh. The enthusiastic hugger. Man, there's some people like that in our church, aren't there? I'm not going to call you out, Alan, but I'm not going to do that. The enthusiastic hugger. Then, listen, we always have people, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to name the individual in our church that I think of when I think of this hug. His name rhymes with Quinn, but I'm not going to say it. You have the people that are the don't hug me huggers. Quinn, would you agree with this? Yeah. Here's, here's the don't hug me huggers, if you would give me a hug. <sighs> How many of you have given Quinn a hug before? There's not too many. You want to know why? Because you go to give Quinn a hug, he goes like this. I'm going to shake your hand. Uh, so you have the obligated hugger, the awkward hugger. You've got the enthusiastic hugger. You've got the don't hug me hugger. Then you have the tree huggers, but that's a different message. Uh, but what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to talk about what I call the bear hugger. The bear hugger is probably my favorite. Because the bear hugger, it's not awkward. It's not just enthusiastic. I mean, it's a bear hug. You know what the bear hugger's like? 
bear huggers like this. Man, it's good to see you. Oh, it's so good to see you. You're just, oh, you're so good to hang out with, you know? Man, the bear hugger's excited to see you, but he's not, he's not overly enthusiastic. He's just a bear hugger. Man, just picks you up, you know? What we would call a bear hugger, we'd call that type of a hug someone who is fully embraced. That's what that would be. Fully embraced. When you come, thank you, Robert. Give him a hand. He does a good, isn't he a good hugger? He did a good job today. <coughs> Beth, I see why you married him. He's just such a good hugger. As we come to 1 Timothy in chapter number six this morning, we are finding Paul, and it's a great, great passage we're going to see this morning. Paul is helping the church understand this. If you are going to live a godly life in a godless culture, you need to bear hug your Christianity. You need to fully embrace your new life in Christ. You need to not just have this, well, it's a part of me, or well, it's just kind of a thing I do on the side. You need to say, I am all in on Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul helps us with in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Stand with me if you would. I want you to see it with me. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And we're going to read the first 12 verses of 1 Timothy 6. And and we'll get into some thoughts this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1, Paul says this. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Again, this morning, we're going to learn about being a bear hugger in our Christian life, how to really embrace your new relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into the word of God this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just ask God to speak to your heart today. 
and maybe pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. And then would you commit to God that as he speaks to you, you're listening and you'll respond to him. Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your love for us and thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd help us right now, these next few moments together, that you would challenge us and speak to us. And Lord, that your message would come out clear. I just surrender my mind and thoughts and words and actions to you right now, Lord. I pray that you would um, speak through me and to each of our hearts today. And Lord, we love you. We commit this time to you, and we pray that you'd help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to this passage, I want us to start by going to verse number 12. I want to draw your attention to verse 12, <clears throat> because here's what Paul says in verse number 12. He says this, he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In this verse, Paul, he's challenging Timothy in the first part to continue standing strong and defending his faith. That's that phrase, fight the good fight of faith. Hey, Timothy, stay in this. Don't quit. Keep moving forward. Keep believing the truth that you've been given, the doctrine that I've given you and the things that we've gone over in this passage. Timothy, just fight for it. But then he uses this phrase, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In this passage, Paul is not saying, hang on to eternal life, because if you let go, you won't have it any longer. A lot of people like to look to this verse and say, see, Paul said, lay hold on eternal life. So you, you having eternal life, it is your responsibility to keep it. If Paul was saying that, it would be contradictory to what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. If you receive me, you're in my hand and my hand is in the father's hand. No man can pluck you, no man can pluck you out. Jesus said this, through Paul, he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word shall, you know what it means? It means definitely. Yes. Definitely, or it's a definitive verb. Definitely going to happen. Okay, so if we look at this verse and we know Paul's not saying you've got to hold on to eternal life because you might lose it, what's he saying then? If you take all of this verse together, here's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, I want you to lay hold. The word lay hold means to seize completely or to fully embrace. I want you, church at Ephesus, I want you, Timothy, pastor, I want you to fully embrace your new faith in Christ. I want you to fully embrace this idea that you now have eternal life that you were called to this, that God, he literally knew that you would receive him as your, as, as, uh, his sa as your savior. God knew that you would trust him. And so Romans 8 says that because God knows it, God helps us become more like his son. And here's what Paul is getting at. Timothy, I want you to do this. I want you to embrace your new faith in Christ. I want you to embrace your relationship. Timothy, I want you to fully embrace 
embrace the Christian life. That's what Paul's, that's what Paul's getting to. Listen, you look at it, look back with me at verse number 12. Here's what he said. He said that verse, he says, where, uh, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Hey, Timothy, people see your faith. People know about your faith. Timothy, fully embrace it. Fully embrace it. All right. So if we are to fully embrace our salvation and our relationship with Christ, if we are to uh, lay hold, as he's saying, lay hold of your salvation and your relationship with Christ, what's he saying? He's saying to let it affect and direct every part of you. Don't just be, listen, we would say it this way. Don't just be a part-time Christian. Be a full-time follower. So Paul's helping us understand. Don't just kind of awkward hug your Christianity. Well, I go to church on Sunday. I don't really do the Monday through Friday thing. No, instead, fully embrace it. Well, if you were to go, we could see that in the preceding 11 verses, Paul, he helps Timothy know how to fully embrace the Christian life. A few ways that we can let Christianity affect every part of our life. And what he gives Timothy really still applies to us today. And so I want you to take your Bible and notice with me a few ways that you and I can bear hug our Christianity or embrace our Christianity. First, I want you to see that you are embracing the Christian life when you choose to be a Christ-like servant. You are embracing Christianity and embracing uh, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ when you choose to be a Christ-like servant. Go back to verse one and two. Here's what Paul writes. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That they, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Let's continue and go down to verse five. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Here's what Paul is saying. Well, let me give you this, a little bit of background. During this time that Paul is writing this, there would be many people that they would have, uh, they would have slaves and they would have hired servants. And at that time, this was very culturally accepted. It was common for many of your middle and upper class citizens to have slaves that worked for them and a number of hired servants. Uh, as a matter of fact, some historians, they even estimate that half of the population of the Roman Empire were actually slaves or hired servants that most half over half of them did not even have their freedom. Many of those slaves and servants were even educated people and cultured people, but legally they weren't seen as people. They were seen as a slave or as a hired hand. Well, Paul comes into town and he preaches Jesus. And with the gospel message of, uh, of salvation in Christ, 
that appealed to a lot of those slaves because the gospel says that you are free in Christ, right? You're free in the Lord. And so a lot of those slaves, they would say, man, I, I, want, I want that relationship. And so they were coming to know Christ as Savior. And slaves, they, would, they were able to kind of get away from household duties. And when they did, they found that fellowship in local believers. But there was a problem. Some of those slaves, they were using their newfound freedom in Christ as an excuse to disobey and to defy their masters. Well, in the first two verses, Paul is writing to the slaves and the servants, and he's trying to help them understand that even though you're saved, you still have some responsibilities to follow your earthly masters. Now, let me tell you this. Paul is not condoning slavery. If you look in Scripture, listen, our Constitution and the right that we are all free, much of that is found in Scripture Amen. and our freedom in the relationship with the Lord. So Paul is not saying, hey, you're a slave, just suck it up and do it. I mean, that, that this is just the way things are. No, here's what Paul is helping them understand. He's helping them learn, even though you're a slave, even though you're a servant, you can still resemble Jesus. And so he helps them with these three thoughts, and I'll give them to you very quickly. He helps them with this. You need to, first off, you need to serve your masters with honor. That's that first part. He says, uh, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their master, their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Hey, even though you're a slave and a servant, you need to serve with honor. Serve with honor. Honor your leadership. Serve with honor. What else does he say? The last part of verse number one is serve with regard to your reflection upon the Lord. Okay, verse number one, serve with honor. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Hey, you need to serve with honor and serve with a good testimony because you represent God you need to serve well. And then verse number two, uh, he says you need to serve with respect. There were some slaves that they would come in and they were slaves in, uh, outside of the church, but when they came into the church, they were still slaves, but their masters were believers as well. And they felt that, well, since I'm a slave and that's my master uh, and we're both believers, then it puts us on the same playing field. And so because of that, then I have, I can, I can maybe defy what he says, or I can maybe just kind of, it was half-hearted service. You know I mean? He's, he's a believer. He'll be fine with it. And Paul says in verse number two, no, you need to serve them just like you would serve Christ. You need to serve with complete respect because they're a believer. Now, some of this, I mean, really, we could look at it and you and I could come to these verses and we could say, well, pastor, I mean, I, we don't have slavery today. We, we don't have hired servants like they did back then. But I want you to notice something. Go to verse three. Here's what Paul says. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, down to verse number five, withdraw thyself from him. Okay, <clears throat> here's what Paul's getting at. 
In these verses, he is challenging Timothy and these believers at Ephesus that embracing the Christian life, it means embracing what Christ taught about serving. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, he desires that you and I would follow him and become servants like him. Well, how did Jesus serve? Jesus served with no agenda. Jesus served with those he was serving in mind. I love the passage, but John 13, verse 15 through 17, it says this, for I have given you, this is Jesus, after he washed the disciples' feet, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. You see, in our mindset, listen, in our mindset, we have this mentality. Master, servant. One is beneath the other. And so I don't want to be a servant. I want to be the one that's on top. I, because that's, that's just kind of the way we think. We think with that, uh, that authority mindset. Here's what Jesus says in this verse. Hey, the servant isn't greater than his Lord. Neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. Well, what's that all mean? Here's what Jesus is saying. It's an equal playing field. But you need to humble yourself and serve. Because happy are you if you do these things. Now, I want us to think about this. Josh, could you turn me down just a touch? I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ, when he came, the Bible said he didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister. What's that? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. In John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Do you know whose feet he washed who was in the room? Judas. Judas was about to betray him, and he knew it. It would be just after this that Judas would leave, and then the Lord's table would be established, and it would be just after this took place. But here's what Jesus did. He still knelt, and he still bowed and washed Judas's feet. He served with no agenda. He served with honor. He served with his uh, reputation in mind that I'm representing, I'm representing God who sent me. He served with respect, respecting them and understanding that even though, listen, even though Judas is going to betray me, I'm still going to serve him. He served your agenda and my agenda and not his own. So here's what Paul is helping us with in verse three, verse one and verse two. Hey, you need to serve with honor, serve with regard to your reputation and serve with respect to others. Why? Because that's what Jesus taught. If any man comes and teaches and he doesn't teach these whole or these healthy words, he teaches something different. You need to walk away from him. Why? Because it's going to lead you down a path you don't want to go. And we don't have time to get into verse 4 and verse number 5, the beginning of it. But he's saying this, hey, listen, if they're serving you with uh, their own agenda, it's going to lead to perverse things. It's going to lead, what does it look, oh, I got it, we've got to do it. Look at, look at it. Um, look at verse number uh, 4. So if someone comes and they teach a different way of serving, he's proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. When you look at that phrase, 
uh, doting about questions and strifes of words, it just simply means to be given over to arguments and given over to the mindset of just having, uh, always having something to say. Here's what Paul says, and I want you to process this and think about it with me this morning. Paul says, if someone comes in and they're not serving like Christ, it's going to lead to envy, strife, railing, evil surmising, arguing. Well, why would that happen? Because the only other alternatives to serving, listen, the only other alternative to serving like Jesus and serving others selflessly, the only alternative is to serve yourself selfishly. And if you get a bunch of people that are serving themselves, what's the result going to be? Arguing. Envy. Well, why do they get to do? I don't get to lead music. That guy, Micah. He's even wearing a pink tie today. Wait, is it, is it pink or is it salmon pink? It's pink. He's wearing a pink tie today. I can't believe that. I never get to, I, I don't wear pink ties and I don't get to lead singing. Well, why are they a greeter? Why don't I get to be a greeter? Well, I, I should have a right. Here's what happens. We come in and often we do, that, we do it in our houses. We can do it in the church. We have this mindset of I'm going to serve for my benefit. A lot of those servants and slaves were doing that. They were saying, well, I'm free in Christ, so I'm going to, and Paul is saying, it's just gonna lead to envy. It's gonna lead to, it's gonna lead to arguing. It's gonna lead you down a path, and if you find somebody, they're not teaching the wholesome words of Jesus. They're saying, you should serve for the attention, and you should serve because, and you should serve, and they're not saying, well, you should serve just like Jesus served. If they're not teaching those wholesome words, hey, leave them, get away, flee that, go away from that, withdraw thyself from that. What did Jesus teach about serving? Well, Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.13, ye brethren have not been called unto liberty, or excuse me, ye brethren have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. That means don't use your freedom in Christ for yourself. No, now use it to serve one another. Serving this way, it's founded in humility. And when anything else is happening, that's founded in pride. I want you to see this morning that Paul, he's trying to help him understand if you are going to embrace your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, first, you've got to be a Christ-like servant. If you want to, listen, this week, if you want to gauge, am I, am I really bear-hugging my Christianity? Am I letting my Christianity affect my life? Ask yourself, am I letting my Christianity affect how I serve? Well, how can we apply this to us personally right now? Let me say this. I think Christians should be the best employees a boss has. It just should. Christians should be the ones that are on time. Christians should be the ones that say, I'll do that. Christians in the workplace should be the ones that say, no, I, got I can take care of that. The ones that their boss can say, can I ask you to do that? And knows it's going to happen. They're going to follow through with it. Believers should be the ones that when all of the gossip starts, starts going on at work, they're the ones that say, hey, let's not talk about that. Yeah. Believers should be the ones that when their break is 15 minutes, 
They take 15 minutes. This is gonna hurt. You ready? Believers should be the one that if they call in sick, it's because they're sick. Do that to me. <laughs> Listen, we should be the best employees. Why? Verse one, you represent the Lord. People know you're a believer. Represent him. Man, that, that's hard. But you know what? That's just serving like Jesus would serve. Listen, in your workplace or in your home, have the mentality that I want to serve today as if I am Christ serving today. I want to serve my boss today just like I know Jesus would serve him if Jesus worked here. That's what Paul's getting at. Listen, I don't know about you, but that's convicting. But that's fully embracing the Christian life. Man, I'm going to be a Christ-like servant. How else do we fully embrace the Christian life? Paul says this, you need to be, con be content and safeguard. What do you mean, pastor? You need to be content with what you have and safeguard against covetousness. Notice verse five. The first part of it goes along with what we saw a minute ago, but look down at the second, the last part. It says this, that there are some supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For ye, we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be content. Uh, verse number nine, they that will be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and uh, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil or all types of evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. In those few verses, uh, we've already looked at verse number five, but Paul says, hey, there's a group of people that they believe that the more you get, the, the more you get, the more content you'll be. You see that verse number five, that gain is godliness, that the more you get, uh, the closer you are to God. That's what that church at Colossae was believing. And then he proceeds to contradict it. And he says, but that's not the truth. The truth is, the closer you are to God, look at verse number seven, or verse number six. Godliness and contentment, those are great gain. The closer you are to God and the more content or satisfaction you find in just the things God allows in your life, that is great gain. Here's what the world philosophy is, and... Um, Man, there's so much here. Here's what the world's philosophy is. The world's philosophy is this. If I get more, I will be more satisfied. And if I get more and am more satisfied, then that more satisfaction is going to bring me happiness. Right? Is that the world's philosophy? Very much so. Well, what do you want to do? I just want to make that first million. I want to make that. I want to get more. It can be more money, it can be more knowledge, higher education, but the world's philosophy is the more you get money, status, education, whatever it may be, the more you get, the better you are. Here's what God says. Be content with what you have, grow closer to God, and the better off you'll be. Be content with what you have, grow close to God, and the better off you'll be. And in this verse, in this passage, 
he says in verse 9 and 10 that those, that temptation, uh, the temptation to be rich, it often leads to uh, many hurts, and those things overtake people and has been known to destroy people. And then, then Paul uses that verse, verse number 10, that's often misquoted, uh, but the verse says this, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, the phrase all there, it means all types of evil. It's saying, hey, listen, when you love money, it is going to lead you down some roads into verse number 10 that will pierce you through with sorrows. You say, well, pastor, where do we see that in our culture? Man, just turn on the news sometimes and read about the billionaires and millionaires that are committing suicide, that are in horrible situations that are on their 17th divorce and marriage that have kids from 78 different people. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you understand the picture. Our culture and what people say is, if I can get more money, I'll be happy. And here's what God's saying. No, you need to be content with what you have and fight or safeguard against covetousness. Why? Because that's embracing the Christian life. Because embracing the Christian life says, I'm satisfied with God. I'm satisfied with him. I'm satisfied with what he can give me. Um, I'm not gonna embarrass my wife, but what's the name of that song and that you sing? Just give me Jesus, that's it, thank you. See, I knew we'd ESP on that one. Uh, the song, you can have this world, just give me Jesus. Man, you can have all the treasures, you can have all the wealth, you can have, it, you can have all of it, just give me him. Why would we think that? Because it's the principle of scripture. Get closer to God and you'll find satisfaction. Why is it the devil fights you being in the word of God, being around believers, being in church, why is it that the devil fights you fully embracing your Christian life? It's because he knows that if you walk with God, you'll find contentment and you'll stop searching for everything else. Man, the devil knows that. That's why he fights it so hard. Be content with what you have and safeguard against covetousness. Very quickly, here's what Paul teaches in these verses. Number one, wealth does not bring contentment. Man, wealth does not bring that happiness. It's not gonna happen. Number two, and I'm gonna fly through these just for time's sake, wealth is not lasting. Hey, wealth, you know what, the, the, what it says in Proverbs and what it says even in Psalms, the principle? Wealth, you know what it does? It takes wings. And your dollar bills just kind of fly away. That's a principle in scripture. Paul's teaching that here. Hey, wealth doesn't bring contentment. Hey, wealth is not lasting. No, instead, you need to be content with your basic needs met. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. When your needs are met, be content. Well, my need is that brand new BMW. Probably not. <laughs> no, food and raiment, clothing and shelter. Food, clothing, shelter, three basic necessities. If you, well, I don't have, I, pastor, I just don't have anywhere to live. Listen, we in our country are spoiled. Because we think if we're not living in, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath, or five-bedroom, or ten-bedroom, or whatever our, you know, greatest desire is, God's not meeting our need. 
We live in a country where our needs are met so much. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, be content with your basic needs met. The last thing he teaches is that the desire for wealth often leads to sin. Paul said it this way to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak with respect of want, for I have learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. This is Paul writing, and he's saying, hey, in every situation in life, you can find contentment. Why? Because you have God. And if you and I are going to embrace Christianity, we must learn to be content with what God brings into our lives and what God allows into our life. One man said it this way, I saw it this week, the best way to be happy is to expect nothing and appreciate everything. Well, why would I do this? Because that's what Jesus taught. This is one of the things Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter six and verse number five, or Matthew five, six, when he said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall, they shall be filled. The word blessed means divine happiness. Hey, divine happiness belongs to those that seek after Jesus. You will find fulfillment. That's the verse. Divine happiness, pure joy, wonderful contentment belongs to those that follow Jesus. And this is what Paul is getting at in Timothy. It's what Jesus taught, and it's what Paul teaches. And you notice in the first few words of uh, verse number 11, Paul says, if you're finding uh, you know, people that are teaching otherwise, or if you're having the attitude of covetousness, hey, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Hey, listen, if there's the root, of, if, if you're starting to love money a little bit too much, man, flee it. It doesn't mean literally to run away from, you know, I'm running away from work because I love money too much. No, no, no. We already learned about being the good employee, right? No, here's what Paul is saying. Hey, that mindset, that, that mentality, if you know Jesus, it shouldn't be identified in your life. No, no. Why? Because I want to fully embrace my Christian walk. I want to fully embrace my relationship with the Lord. How do I do that? Be content with what you have, and safeguard against covetousness. You know what? You're embracing the Christian life, fully embracing the Christian life when you first are a Christ-like servant, when you second are content and safeguard. But then notice lastly and quickly, when you third, be a consistent student. When you are a consistent student. You're fully embracing Christianity when you are constantly seeking Jesus. Notice verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, and fight the good fight of faith. Here's what Paul says to him. Hey, instead of going after covetousness, flee it and follow after these things. Consistently, the word follow, it means to consistently pursue. Consistently pursue these things. What should I consistently pursue? Well, number one, righteousness. What is that? That's a right heart personal integrity, righteousness on the inside, godliness. Godliness is God-likeness on the outside, God-likeness in your actions. So pursue a right heart and pursue a right outer life. Number three, pursue faith. This is a strong trust in God and faithfulness to God. Pursue it. Number four, pursue love. It's like our theme, loving God, loving others. Man, pursue God, love God, and love the people God loves. Number five, pursue patience. The word patience, it means a steady endurance. Hey, be consistent. Be steady. Steadily endure. The word patience, I've talked about it before. It doesn't mean, you know, we're supposed to be patient believers, so patiently wait on God and just be impatient. Just waiting on God. 
No, the word patience, it means to steadily continue doing what I know I should be doing, to steadily continue seeking him, to steadily continue walking with him, to steadily continue in faithfulness, to steadily, that's the word patience, seek that. He says to seek after, follow after meekness, that's gentleness and kindness. Now, I go through all of those very quickly, but here's what Paul is just helping Timothy understand. Where are you going to find righteousness? Godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Where do you find the fruit of the Spirit given in Galatians 5? Where do we find it? Oh, well, the Bible. Right, but who is it found in? Jesus. It's found in Christ. And when Paul writes to Timothy through the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he's wanting Timothy to understand this. Timothy, if you forget anything I say, don't forget this. Timothy, fall in love with Jesus. Timothy, fall in love with God. Timothy, seek after him. You want to be righteous? You want to have a right heart? You'll find it only in God. You want to have actions affected by it? You'll find it only by Christ. Be a consistent student of Jesus. Be a consistent student of his word. Flee that covetousness, flee that false doctrine, and instead understand that we are truly embracing the Christian life when we become a student of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, flee the bad, follow the right. Flee the unhealthy, follow the healthy, the wholesome words. Flee temptation and follow after the truth. And the fact of the matter is this, that you and I, if we truly want to embrace the Christian life, then we've got to be our theme. You've got to be consumed. Here's how Jesus said it in Mark 12, 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Man, be consumed with him. <clears throat> Consistently seek him. Because it's then and only then that we are fully embracing our Christian life. I want to do this this morning. We've all seen it, and, and I won't act it out for us, but we've all seen, you know, we talked about hugs earlier. You've all seen it when the little kid goes to hug mom and dad, and mom and maybe, maybe the kid just kind of falls on their knees. Maybe they're throwing a fit. I don't know, but we've seen it where a baby like grabs on to mom and dad's leg and is holding for dear life. And they're like, get up, come on, come on, I'll carry you, just get up, you know. How many of you have seen that? You've seen that before them just, how many of you have done it? You've carried, yeah. We've all done that. If you're a parent, you just drag them along. You know, you know what's happened in modern, listen, you know what's happened in modern day Christianity is a lot of believers are just kind of hanging on. And their relationship with God it's not really growing. Their relationship with God, it's not really impacting their life. They're just kind of like, well, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's that I guess, I guess I'll just let God kind of drag me wherever. But here's what God's saying in 1 Timothy through Paul. Lay hold on your Christianity. Embrace it completely. Don't just be a part-time Christian. Be a full-time Christian. How? Serve like him. Have Christ-like service. Be content and safeguard and then can be a consistent student 
These are just three of the helpful ways that Paul gave Timothy. These are the guiding truths that will help Timothy and help you and I live a godly life in a godless culture. And the fact of the matter is this. You and I, we desperately need God. We desperately need him. I desperately need Jesus Christ to work in my life every day. I desperately need him to direct my thoughts and my actions and my words. I desperately need God's help to be the right husband to my wife. I, I need God's help to be the right dad to my kids. Man, I, I need him. I cannot do it. I, I need God's help to pastor. Man, I can't do it. But what we often do is we're like the parent pulling the child and we're kind of dragging our Christianity around. We're leading the way. We're leading the way and we're just saying, well, yeah, I know I need you every now and then, but I got this. Oh, I can handle it. And God's saying, no, pick it up. Embrace it completely. Let your Christianity and your walk with God define you. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't have Christianity, you don't have a walk with God. I want to ask you this question. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Because if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, you could leave today knowing you're going to heaven because Jesus Christ loved you and he gave his life so that you could have forgiveness. And if you're here and you'd say, well, I, I don't even know what Christianity is. Listen, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. He died for you and he gave his life for you. And if you're here and you've never received his forgiveness, today could be the day where you could know for sure you're going to heaven because you received the gift that Jesus gave on the cross for you. If you do know Christ as your savior today, would you make the determination that this week is gonna be a week of embracing my Christianity? I'm not just gonna drag it around. I'm gonna serve like he served and like he taught. I'm going to this week study him out. And this week I'm gonna be content and safeguard against just finding happiness in things, understanding I find my fulfillment completely in him. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm gonna have a time of invitation with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm gonna pray and then if God's spoken to you, I wanna encourage you to respond. But before I pray, I wanna ask you two questions. The first one, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? If you're here and you'd be honest, Pastor Dennis, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I've received Christ as my Savior. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? I know that, Pastor Dennis, just right up and right back down. Thank you. I'm gonna pray for you, those of you that you know Christ as your Savior. Would you make that decision today that this week you're gonna embrace Christianity, embrace your relationship with the Lord? Make the decision. But maybe you're here and you could not raise your hand to that question. You don't know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You don't know that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and that he's in your life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you by name, but I would like to pray for you. And if that's you this morning, you'd say, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? Because I do not know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. No one's looking around, just me. Just right up and right back down. Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. You can put them down. If, I, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to come. We'll take a Bible. We'll show you how you can know you're going to heaven. God, I pray that you bless the invitation. Help us to respond to you as you've spoken to us. 
Help us to know exactly the decision that you want us to make. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.